Open your Bibles, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus 10 will be there in just a moment. I wanted to take a moment and add my welcome. Thank you all for being here. Appreciate visitors coming our way. We are so very grateful to have you here amongst us this morning as we seek to worship our God on this first day of the week. We come together each first day of the week to do just that, um, to worship God and do those things that we have been commanded to do as the New Testament specifies. One of those things that the New Testament specifies that we do as Christians is to sing. We have been engaging in that already this morning. We sing when we gather together. We sing, for instance, like today, on the first day of the week, when we come together to worship God. We also sing when we come together in the middle part of the week. We come together here on Wednesday nights to study the Bible, and when we do, we sing a couple of songs. We can sing any time that we come together, and it's a blessing to be able to do so. And it is a joyous sound that we can make when we sing praises to our God. But we need to do it properly. We see the disciples singing a hymn after they took the Passover, after the Lord has instituted the Lord's Supper, which we uh, gathered around the table this morning to partake of. That's one of those things we do as the, as the Lord's body come together on the first day of the week to take the Lord's Supper. We see the disciples doing that. It says they sung a hymn and then they went out from there to the Mount of Olives. We see Paul and Silas when they are in, in prison. It says there that they were singing while they were in prison. Singing in a worship service is, of course, totally appropriate, and it is authorized in Scripture. But it's okay for us to sing anytime we come together. As God's children, we can come together, whatever those occasions may be. It's okay to join our voices together in song and to sing. But as I said, we need to do it properly. And we need to understand exactly what it is that we are doing. And that's what I really like to speak about this morning, is singing properly. So let's start by understanding that if we're going to sing properly, we need to be engaged in singing as authorized in the New Testament. We'll start with this by understanding that God expects to be worshipped in the way that he stipulates. We learn this from a very familiar account in the Bible, and that is from Nadab and Abihu. And if you're here in Leviticus chapter 10, let's read a few verses here to get some understanding about what God expects from those who come near him and those who worship him. Here in Leviticus 10, beginning of verse 1, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Verse 3, Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron kept silent before the Lord. God had given instructions on how this incense was to be prepared. And given instructions to Moses and 
In the book of Exodus and earlier in the book of Leviticus, there talks about the fire and the incense and how that was to be done. God had a certain way in which this was to be done. But Nadab and Abihu did not follow those instructions. It says here that they offered strange fire. And it says there at the end of verse 2, which he had not commanded them, which God had not commanded them. So what they were doing was outside of what God had commanded them to do. And as a result, they were punished for it. God says that fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died there. Notice what it says there in verse 3. By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. God expects his instructions to be followed simply because of who he is. God says, I am holy. And if you're going to come near me, you need to treat me as such. He is the creator. He is the lawgiver. He is the judge. And we should treat him with respect. Enough respect to do what he says. When it comes to singing, as we've already been engaged in this morning, he has told us how to do that as well. Go with me over to the New Testament now. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. And please excuse my clearing of my throat and my cough. I'm almost over this cold that I've had for quite a while. I might clear my throat from time to time, but I am almost <coughs> over it. In Ephesians 5, verse 19... It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Hold your finger there in Ephesians 5.19 and go also to, over to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> this is a companion verse to Ephesians 5.19. It says something very similar, which we read here just a moment ago in the middle of our reading there that Jack did for us. Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. These two passages, these two verses, and these two verses alone give us instruction on how it is that we are to sing according to the law of Christ. Now we have other verses in the New Testament that talk about singing, and we're going to look at that here in just a moment, especially in regards to 1 Corinthians 14. And as we mentioned there about the disciples singing a psalm before they went out to the Mount of Olives. But these two give us the command to sing and stipulate how it is to be done. Notice what it says here. How is it that we are to sing? We are to sing one to another. What are we to sing? We are to sing psalms, hymns, or spiritual songs. We are to sing and make melody with our heart to the Lord. And we're also to have thankfulness in our heart to God. Notice that there's no mention of any kind of instrument other than our voices and our hearts. Those are the instruments that we use to sing praises to God. 
That's all that's mentioned. That's all that's stipulated. There's no mention also either to sit and listen to others sing. What does it say? We are to sing one to another. If we're engaged in singing, then we need to be singing one to another. That means that we're all engaged in the singing activity, in the singing of praises to God. And notice that there is a way in which we sing. Our motivation is specified. It says there in the Colossians 3.16, with thankfulness in our hearts to God. It's not just something that we engage in because we come together and this is what we do on the first day of the week. There's more to it than that. Paul says there in Colossians, we're to sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. There's a reason, there's a motivation behind our singing. And if our worship is to be pleasing to God, it has to be done according to what he has said. It has to be done according to the way in which he has specified it. Just ask Nadab and Abihu. You think God expects to be, uh, his commands to be heeded? That he expects his children to do what he says? Yes, he does. So this means that we must sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other. Unaccompanied by any kind of mechanical instrument. No mechanical instrument has been, has been specified. The only thing that might come close to that is making melody with your heart. Now what's interesting about that is the, the, the term there, making melody, the Greek word being translated there is solo. And solo means to pluck the strings of. Which is very interesting if you think about what's being said there. It says we are sing and make melody with our hearts. We're to pluck the strings of our heart. Can I pluck the strings of my heart? If I do, I probably won't be standing up here very long. Obviously, I can't reach in and touch and pluck the strings of my heart. So we're talking about something on a spiritual level. We're talking about something that is inside of us. The thankfulness to God, making melody with our heart. That's something that we're doing in the spirit. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Giving thanks to God, the proper motivation. This is the kind of singing that has been authorized in the New Testament. Now that we understand a little bit more about what God has authorized when it comes to singing, let's talk a little bit more about that motivation behind what it is that we're doing behind this singing that we are engaged in. Go with me over now to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 14. <coughs> I want to read this passage. It's rather lengthy, but it's important to understand. And think about as we're going through this about Paul has given instruction here to the Corinthians about their worship, particularly to them about their, their use of spiritual gifts. And we can make the application, and we will. But listen to what he is saying to them throughout about their motivation behind the things that they are doing, especially in this context about speaking in tongues, which is simply just speaking another language and prophesying. We'll make the application here in just a minute. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning of verse 1. 
Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that all you spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall it profit you, unless I speak to you either by way of revelation, or by knowledge of the prophecy, or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in their tones, how will it be known what is played on, the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So you also, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you. Since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the spirit, and I shall pray with the mind also. I shall sing with the spirit, and I shall sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen? at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying. For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank you, I thank God, I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind, that I may instruct others also, than 10,000 words in a tongue. I know it's a long reading, but do you, do you see what's, Paul is, is the point that Paul is making here? Look back at verse 15 again. What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the spirit and I shall pray with the mind also. I shall sing with the spirit and I shall sing with the mind also. Paul says that in his praying and in his singing, he does it in two ways. He does it with the spirit and with the mind. So what does he mean by that? What is he saying? that he does that with the spirit and the mind. So let's examine the spirit and the mind from this passage. And I want to start with the mind first. Think about what it means when Paul says that he wants to sing with the mind. We go back there, back up in verse 2. It says, For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. He goes on to talk about um, this idea of, of what's being said. Is it in a tongue? Is it prophesying? But the point Paul is making here is that what is being said through the speaking in a tongue, again, that is just speaking another language, or prophesy, whatever is being done, it must be understood by the church. It doesn't do anyone any good if someone were able to to get up and speak in another language if no one out there spoke that language. 
If I started speaking to you in Spanish, now, some of you may know Spanish, Portuguese, French, whatever that might be. If I were up here speaking that, what good would it do you if you don't speak that language? It wouldn't do you any good. Now, if Chuck knows Portuguese and I'm speaking Portuguese and Chuck is translating that into English, then it is doing you some good because you are understanding what is being said. Look again at verse 3. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for what? For edification, for exhortation, and consolation. The purpose of all the spiritual gifts is being spelled out right here. What's the reason for these spiritual gifts? These gifts in the early church were used for this reason. Look again at verse 19. It says, However, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind, that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. The things that are being done, whatever it might be, if it's speaking, these miraculous things which Paul is talking about here, prophesying and speaking in tongues, they still had to be done for the edification of the church. Now, we today don't have these spiritual gifts. We don't have speaking in tongues miraculously. We don't have prophesying. All the prophesying has been done. We benefit from the complete word of God. But what I'm doing today, right now, the singing that we engaged in, the praying that we engaged in, the Lord's Supper that we engaged in, what are those, what's the reason that we do all those things? It's the same thing that was said there in verse 3. Edification, exhortation, and consolation. The purpose is still the same. We come together to edify one another. And when we sing to each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we're speaking one to another. We're using our voices and the words that we are saying to edify, to teach, to admonish. That's what we're doing when we're engaged in these things. If the things being done are not edifying, then they're useless. Look back there at verse 7 again. I love this language in the middle of this. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter things by, unless you utter by the, the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you are just speaking into the air. I love the way he uses this in the middle of this to... to illustrate the point he's making. A harp doesn't sound like a flute, does it? A piano doesn't sound like a guitar, does it? If a bugle was sounded and it didn't sound like a bugle, how would the troops know that, it's ready to, that they need to get ready for battle? There was a distinct sound to these instruments and that needed to be understood by the people who were hearing it. So to us, the songs that we sing need to be understood by others that are hearing it. And that's how we're edified. By the way, this passage here does not give us authorization to use these instruments in the worship service. Paul's using them as an example, as the sounds that they make. He's using it for illustration purposes. One thing that we can understand about that is he refers to them as lifeless things there in verse 7. What we do to God, the worship that we provide to God, is not lifeless. That's why we use our voices and our hearts and our minds when we worship God. Those things aren't lifeless. 
at the end of verse 9 there, it says that you'd just be speaking into the air. If I were up here speaking French and no one of you understood French, I'm just speaking into the air. It doesn't do you any good. You're not edified by that. You're not taught by that. You're just speaking into the air. These spiritual gifts were to be used by... Uh, were to be used to edify the congregation. This is the part about using the mind. This is reasonable. This should make sense. It makes sense that if we're going to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we need to understand what we're speaking. That's simple, isn't it? That's how we use the mind. That's what the Corinthian brethren were to do by using their minds in the worship to God. Verse 26, later on here in chapter 14, says, Let all things be done for edification. Paul goes on this discourse more. But he says there in verse 26, Let all things be done for edification. Whatever you're coming together to do, and we have very specific things that we do, is to be edifying. That's the reason that we engage in these things, and to worship our God. If you're not doing it for edification, then you're just speaking into the air. And no one is edified. Now let's consider the other part of it. Paul says, I will sing with the mind, I will sing with the spirit also. Let's talk about what he means by singing with the spirit. Look in verse 2 again. In uh, 1 Corinthians 14. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. And look also in the first part of verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless in spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen? What's he talking about, this idea of the spirit? Well, John 4 and verse 24, we know what that says. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Paul's instructions here in 1 Corinthians 14 are in perfect harmony with what the Lord said there in John 4 when he's speaking to the woman at the well. Perfect harmony. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We've discussed the truth part, that our worship must be according to what he has said, according to the commandments that he has given. We looked at those commandments in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 about singing. That's the truth part. What about the spirit part? How do I sing with the spirit? It begins by understanding a little bit more about ourselves. Go back a couple of chapters in 1 Corinthians to chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6. Beginning verse 17. For the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. We know that verse 19 pretty well, don't we? Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Paul makes it clear from this passage and from other passages 
that those of us who have received Christ, that is, those of us who have been baptized into Christ, have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And here in verse 17, it says, But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one with him. When we worship in spirit, when we pray, when we sing with the spirit, we are accessing that part of us that lives for God. You ever thought about it in those terms? Paul uses the, the analogy here that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We read that passage, we know it pretty well, don't we? That our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now think about what that means. The tabernacle and then the temple is where God would come and meet with the priests who represented the children of Israel. This was a special place. Now not everyone had access to be there with God. Only the priests. And only the high priest could go into the most holy place. And he would go there once a year. He was the one who had that closest relationship with God. One man. The high priest. He had the closest relationship with God. Now, our bodies are where the Spirit of God dwells. Now each one of us have that intimate relationship with God. If we have put on Christ, if we have become a child of God, we have that intimate relationship that the high priest had under the law of Moses. We have that intimate relationship with our God and our creator. So if we want to worship him in spirit, if we want to pray and sing with the spirit, we have to call to mind that we are in fellowship, that we are one with the very Spirit of God. Does your praying and your singing recognize that? When you sing, do you just idly turn to the page that, that today Chuck picked out the songs, do you just turn to the page and mumble some words, go along with what's being sung, not really engaged in what you're doing? So you can just check off, I've, I've done that today. This is part of my worship, I've, I've sung. Or are you concentrating on the words that you are saying? Teaching and admonishing. In Colossians 3.16, that's what it says. Teaching and admonishing one another. The songs that we are singing, we're teaching and admonishing one another. Is that what you're concentrating on? Are you understanding that though these songs are written by men, these are spiritual songs, these are psalms and hymns, and we're singing these to one another, to encourage one another. Are you concentrating on that with the intention of teaching and admonishing your brother or your sister? Men, when we pray for the congregation, are we just repeating the same words we do every time, just change out who we need, who's sick this week or who's traveling this week? Just fit it into that form, pray really without engaging the spirit? Or do we understand that we are standing in the most holy place? That we are standing in the presence of God? 
And through Jesus Christ, we have the ability to do that. We have that access to God the Father. And it's only through Him, through our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are able to do that. The point is this. We need to have a clear understanding of how and why we sing praises to God. The how is according to truth. Sing with the mind. And the why is according to the Spirit. I will sing with the Spirit. So when we're singing, it's more than just turning to the right page, flipping through and, oh, I know this song. I think I'll sing tenor on this one. I think I'll sing bass on this one today. Brethren, I will tell you this. I am guilty of what I just said. I come from a musical background. So when I see this, I can read a little bit of music. And sometimes I think about that. I think I'll sing the tenor part today. Brethren, I'm guilty of that. What I need to be focusing on is blending my voice with the other brethren so that we can edify one another. So that my voice speaks to you and teaches and admonishes and encourages you. It's not about the notes on the page. It's about the words that are coming out of my mouth. It needs to be such that each one of us here can, can listen and understand what it is that we are singing. I hope that you will make strides in that area. If you're thinking too much about the notes or not really thinking at all about what you're doing, I hope that you will take this lesson to heart and understand that there's a lot more to singing than just opening the book and looking at the words. It's about knowing that there's truth behind what we're doing, that God has specified that we are to sing, simply to sing. And he wants us to sing in, the, in spirit and in truth. And that spirit part is understanding that the spirit of God dwells within us. We need to access that part of our, of our being and understand that we are the temple of the Spirit of God. We need to sing fervent praises to our God. If you are not a child of God, I encourage you to become one so that you can partake of these blessings, so that you can be in the kingdom and be able to sing these songs to our brothers and sisters who are also in the kingdom. That only comes through baptism into Christ. If as a child of God you've strayed, if you're not serving him as you should, if you've lost sight of the idea that we're standing in the presence of our creator, I beg of you to make those changes necessary in your life, to better serve him, there are changes or there are sins that you have committed of a public nature and need to be confessed. That can be done as well. Whatever your needs may be, let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.